Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your house. We are your people. This is your space. Come, Holy Spirit. Inhabit this space with you. Speak to our hearts and to our lives. Do what only you can do. We open up our hearts. We open up the heart and soul of our church. And we ask you to minister to us. Bring fresh perspective, revelation and understanding. But above all, in all communication, may it be your heart and your voice. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're turning to Acts 2. A well-known passage that describes the day of Pentecost. Glasgow Elam is a Pentecostal church. We are a Pentecostal church because we believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost still happens today. And we build our church and we build our expression of church around that belief and around that understanding. However, unfortunately, over time within the world of Christianity, the definition of being Pentecostal has come to simply mean that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an essential and accessible experience for all believers. And let's just say from the get-go, we 100% do. We believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an essential and is an accessible experience for every believer. We believe that wholeheartedly. However, if our definition of being Pentecostal is that we believe that what happens on the day of Pentecost still happens today, then perhaps we need to broaden our understanding and expand our view of Acts chapter 2 and look at the fullness of what happened on the day of Pentecost and begin to build an expression of church around that. So let's turn to this passage and let's read these well-known verses together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. These verses describe to us the moments of the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting that there's only just one sentence that describes to us the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Within that, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When we read round about that sentence, we find contained within the description a very vivid description of something hugely significant. And something hugely supernatural taking place that all too often can be lost as we rush past it to the tongue-talking, spirit-filling moment. And it's important that as we shape our church around the culture of Pentecost, that we examine not just the infilling of the Spirit, which is a phenomenal moment and a phenomenal experience, and we celebrate and believe in that, but we also explore the wider dynamics that are called out here. So this morning we look at this overly familiar passage, perhaps to take a fresh perspective upon it, and we begin to call out together the conditions that the Spirit created, the conditions that the Spirit inhabited, 
as well as the movements and the experiences that ensued. And we look at what all of that means for us as we gather together in Glasgow in 2023. We begin at the very beginning because one wise woman said it's a very good place to start. And we begin by looking at the position and the posture of the people to whom the Spirit came. And it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This scripture simplistically yet profoundly tells us that the moment the Spirit visited with His fullness was a moment when they were all together. Now, it seems like an insignificant fact, but it's not. Because when we read the story of the disciples from their crisis moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested, and then we follow it through to the crucifixion, through to the resurrection, to then arrive in this moment in Acts chapter 2, we recognize from that journey that truly the moment that the shepherd was struck, there was a scattering effect that took place. Some disciples follow Jesus to trial, some don't. Some follow him to the foot of the cross, some don't. Some visit the tomb as he's getting buried, some don't. Some go check out the reports of the empty tomb and his resurrection, some don't. Some are present when he turns up risen from the dead and stands in the midst of them, some of them are absent. Some following this resurrection appearance return to fishing, and we assume those that weren't fishermen don't. The point is that when we map it out, we see that there is a very disjointed, very scattered season that the journey that the disciples are in, and there's a very scattered and disjointed journey that the disciple make. And when we arrive in Acts chapter 2, it kind of looks as though on the surface of things, the disciples have got it all together, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Their journey up to this point has not been plain sailing. According to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6, Jesus appeared to 500 believers risen from the dead. But yet in the book of Acts, we read of only 120 of them in the upper room gatherings, which suggests that some of the disciples who had seen Jesus risen and alive, some of the disciples to whom he had given his post-resurrection instructions and guidance, some of them choose to follow and obey, and some of them don't. The point is that from the journey of Jesus' arrest in Gethsemane to the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it has not been an easy journey for this group of Jesus' followers. This initial season of trying to navigate, trying to keep up with what God has been doing has been difficult, particularly seeing as they don't actually know what it is that God is doing. They're stepping into this new season of their journey with Jesus, and some of them find it quite difficult, particularly seeing as this stage of their journey with Jesus is actually without Jesus. Up till now, they had seen Jesus do some amazing stuff. They had been with him. They had witnessed and been part of the golden years. When Jesus rocked up in a town or a village and held court on a hillside or at the side of a lake, they remember with fondness the times when Jesus had to improvise, jumping into boats and using them as pulpits to address the crowd or putting on an impromptu buffet with a couple of tuna sandwiches. These were exciting times. These were exhilarating times. Times when really anything could happen, and most times it did. 
Times when they would walk into a scenario with no clue as to what the outcome of the situation or the outworking of the scenario would be. But now they enter into an entirely different season and an entirely different experience. They had a promise from God. A promise that something significant was just around the corner, but they didn't know what, and they didn't know when, and they didn't know how it was all going to happen. Yes, they had the promise, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but they had no idea what did that mean? What would that look like? How would it happen? When would it happen? How would it outwork itself? And in this in-between moment, the moment between resurrection and outpouring, in this hiatus, as they embrace this icky season and step into it, they also had to face the loss of some of those that had journeyed with them up until that point. And we can't underestimate that that must have been hard for the early believers. We look on in Acts 2 and we're like, we're jealous of you guys. Because you were there and you experienced it. And it was all wonderful. And the journey that you had was just amazing. But we can't underestimate that seeing some of those that they journeyed with up until that point move on in a different direction, that must have been hard. There's uncertainty for them. There's a lack of clarity. There's a pause as they wait on God to unfold the next. But they came together and the Spirit came. We often refer to this moment as the birth of the church. And if that is the case, then we see in the conditions that are called out here the intentions of the Spirit for the church. What we see is that He comes to a gathered moment and He comes to a gathered people. Now, there were many that followed Jesus. There were many who seen His miracles, many who heard His teaching. And there are varying statistics given to us with regards to the disciples that followed Jesus. We're told about the 12, and then we're also told about the 72. And in the Corinthians reference that we've already mentioned, we have the 500. And as well as this, there are numerous occasions in which the quantity of people following Jesus and the quantity of people coming under his ministry are just described to us as crowds or multitudes. Sometimes it even says entire villages or entire towns. The data and the numbers are varied. What we do know is that there are countless numbers of people who have encountered Jesus' ministry, who have witnessed his miracles, who have heard his teaching and experienced his supernatural exploits of glory. And we have to assume from that then that the number of people who may have made declarations of faith in response to encountering Jesus would probably have been incredibly high. I often think if people make decisions for Jesus in response to a bumbling preacher and a repeat a prayer after me, stick your hand up, if people make decisions and step into a relationship with Jesus in response to human frailty, how much more must it have been when they saw him right in front of them, seen his miracles, heard the teaching from his heart, coming straight from his heart, seen his glory. The number of people that must have made decisions about what they believed about him, maybe even decisions of faith, must have been incredibly high and most likely would have been impossible to seriously quantify. But yet the scripture does give us a little bit of quantifiable data. 1 Corinthians says this, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Here is quite a list it's quite a list of those to whom Jesus appeared risen from the dead. But this is the kind of state of play post-resurrection. More than 500 people encountered his resurrected presence. And it's almost as though Paul is suggesting that this 500 plus are known to them as a church because he's able to tell us that some of them are still alive, but some of them have passed away. It's almost as though there is a suggestion that there may be a contact, that there may be a connection with those who had seen Jesus risen from the dead. It's like here is a pastoral handle or a pastoral update on this. But here's the thing, we have this list of data in 1 Corinthians 15 that comes to more than 500, but in Acts chapter 2, only 120 experienced the outpouring of the Spirit. And there's nothing to suggest that the Spirit visited the other 380 plus at the same time that He visited those gathered in the upper room. Now, this 380 plus had probably believed in Jesus. They'd seen Jesus risen from the dead. They probably even believed in His resurrection. There's nothing to say that those that didn't make it along to the upper room gatherings were those who walked away from their faith or were those that did not pursue their salvation. There's nothing to say that they were bad people or that they were under the influence of demonic spirits, which is all the rhetoric that we have in church when people move on. But what is called out is that those to whom we read the Spirit being poured out those who had an experience of the glory of Pentecost were those who were together in the gathered moment. Now, as we begin to draw application from this, please, please hear heart. We're not going down the elitist route with us, believing that we've got something that nobody else does. And if you're not part of us, then you're going to miss out on what God is doing. That we are it. Because the last time I checked, Glasgow Elam wasn't the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was. And the thing is that all across our city and all across our nation, there are phenomenal gatherings with different expressions that God is breathing upon and moving upon, and we are just one of those. So we're not saying we've got it, and if you're not in it, you're missing it completely. That's not the point. The point is that in the dynamics and the conditions of Pentecost, we see the intentions of God. We see the design of God. We see His desire. God visits the gathered moments of His people. They were all together and the Spirit came. Now, they were together in a number of ways. But the first way that is called out is that they were together within a moment. They were physically and literally together. They shared the same space at the same time, and the Spirit came. We must not lose sight of the importance of gathered moments. God could have visited these guys individually. By gals, guys, I'm using it to describe guys and gals, just so we're clear. God could have visited them individually, 
in their homes, in their own devotional times and prayer times. He could have poured out his spirit wherever his people were in the midst of whatever they were doing. And in one sense, you would think that might actually have had a bigger impact. If you think about it, believers spread out all across the city, even all across the nation of Israel, and suddenly God descends and they instantly begin declaring the wonders of God wherever they are. You think in some senses that might have had a bigger impact, but that's not the way that God chose to do it. He chose to release his spirit to those who were gathered together. And here then is an insight into God's intentions for his church and for those who live within the dynamics of his spirit. We are called to community. And I get, and it's understand, it's important that we understand, I get it, that we are the church. It's not the building, it's not our Sunday services that make us church. Church is not something that we do, church is something that we are. However, we are called to do church. And very often people use that phrase, church is not something that you do, it's something that you are. They use that phrase as an excuse to justify not turning up. But the truth is, we are called to do church. We are called to be a gathered people. Because God does special things in gathered moments of his people. Jesus told us this. He says, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. He could have said, whenever anyone carries my name, I'm there. Because that's a true statement. If you're born again by the Spirit of God and his name is on your life, wherever you are, he is. He could have said, whenever anyone carries my name, there I am. But he didn't. He said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And I think what he's calling out here is something important. He was hinting at the intentions of God for the kingdom upon the face of the earth. In fact, he was doing more than hinting. He was calling it out. God is going to inhabit gathered moments of his people. He's going to do special things within gathered moments of his people. And we actually see that when we read this verse in Matthew in context. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The word for links this two or three gathering to everything that's went before. So what it's suggesting here is that supernatural exploits, breakthrough, power, transformation, heaven being released, the influence of heaven breaking in and influencing the conditions of earth, all of that is linked to and rooted in gathered moments. And it surely must be significant that our entire New Testament is writings to or writings about gathered people meeting in gathered moments. The Gospels contain the story of Jesus and the people he gathered around him. The book of Acts contains the story of those that gather around the outpouring of the Spirit. The letters, the epistles are all about theology, faith, doctrine, being given to gathered people in gathered moments, trying to outwork what God has called them to and trying to understand the faith that they've stepped into. Even the book of Revelation, where it's all about John's journey in the spiritual and the vision that he receives, but even in the midst of that, he's told, here's a scroll, write down everything that you see and send it to the gathered moments of the gathered people. Send it to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Because God's plan, God's design, God's desire 
is the church. His plan for releasing kingdom upon the face of the earth is the church. And here's the deal. He has no plan B. We get it. And as we call that out, we have to recognize what that means. We have to recognize the responsibility of that. And we have to recognize what we're called to. We're called to do this thing together. We have to recognize the importance of gathered moments. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit was poured out within a gathered moment, and He was poured out universally. We know nothing about the demographics of the upper room gathering. We know that there's 120 people there. We know that there are both men and women there because Acts 1 paints that picture for us. But what we don't know is age and gender split. What we don't know is ethnic and racial spectrum. All we do know is that everyone in that gathering experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as we don't have accounts that tell us that the other 380 plus suddenly experience the outpouring of the Spirit at the same time as those in the upper room, then what we have to recognize is that while Pentecost marks the universal outpouring of the Spirit into lives of believers, while from that point forward the Spirit can be experienced by every believer upon the face of the earth, the fact that we don't have accounts that say the other 380 plus experience the outpouring of the Spirit at the exact same time as those in the upper room tells us that although this is a universal outpouring, it has a specific outworking. He poured his spirit out to those in the gathered moment. Look at how it happened in the passage. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The first word that our attention is drawn to is the first word of the passage there. It's the word suddenly. Without warning, without expectation, the Spirit came. And this suggests that the disciples had no control over what was taking place. They had no influence over what was happening. Suddenly and sovereignly, God released his fullness upon them, which means that how it happened and the way that it happened and when it happened was God's choice and not their choice. And he chose the gathered moment of the disciples as the condition suitable for glory. He saw the gathered moment as valuable, suitable, significant for his glory. Maybe we need to start viewing gathered moments the way that God does. Suddenly, there came the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Often, in interpreting this passage, we talk about a wind blowing through the, through the house, but the passage doesn't say that. The text doesn't describe to us the movement and momentum of a gust of wind. It simply says there was a sound like that. And what is most interesting with regards to the sound is the description that is given. We were told that the sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. That raises a question. What would it be like for a sound to fill an entire house? Imagine that if you can Suddenly a sound filling and taking over an entire space. It filled 
that space. Became full with the sound. Imagine a, a, an environment being consumed by that sound. Normally, when a sudden, loud, and overpowering sound happens, we all turn around and give dirty looks to the guys at the sound desk. No, normally, when there's a sudden, overpowering, loud sound, it stops us dead in our tracks. There's a reaction that comes. But immediately, we all look at the source. It's one of those weird things, isn't it? When there's a sudden, loud, overpowering sound, we instinctively turn towards it. We instinctively turn towards the source. Here's the thing. The source of this sound in Acts chapter 2 is told to us. The sound came from heaven. If when we hear a sound, we instinctively turn towards it. If there came a sound from heaven on the day of Pentecost, does that suggest that in that moment their focus was lifted to the source, that their focus was lifted to heaven? What we read recorded here then is a moment in which heaven grabs the attention of the room. In fact, if the sound filled the room, then heaven transformed the culture of the room. Whatever had been taking place in that moment suddenly stopped. Whatever was going on was instantly interrupted. And the attention of everybody was captured by the sound that came from heaven. The culture of the room was transformed by heaven. Heaven seized the moment. And the moment that heaven seized, the moment that heaven invaded, the moment that hosted heaven was a gathered moment. They were all together and the Spirit came. They were together. But their togetherness wasn't just in locality. There was a reason why they were together. Jesus had told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Wait. Their togetherness wasn't just because they quite enjoyed hanging out. Their togetherness wasn't habit. It wasn't a case of they spent the past three years living in each other's pockets and just didn't really know how to do any difference, so they just kept it going. It wasn't habit. It wasn't choice. It wasn't because they enjoyed their club. There was intentionality to their togetherness. There was a unifying factor. Jesus had told them to do this. Their love for him, their desire to serve him saw them together in that moment, but also their commitment to what was next saw them together in that moment. They've been told, wait, and you'll receive power from on high. And when you receive power, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. Go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. So they were committed to the next. For them, there was a shared ethos, a shared drive, a shared commitment. They'd been commissioned to take the gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth, and they shared a, a purpose together, and they were united in their passion for the mission that they'd been entrusted with. So their moment of togetherness, their gathered moment, was actually a moment of unity. It's a moment of shared purpose, a moment that hosted heaven on earth because they were all together and the Spirit came. God visits and invests himself in the gatherings of his people. To those who come together, 
to those who come together in mission, together in ethos, together in a desire to press into his word, and to those who work out that unity of spirituality through physicality. Those that come together with people that if the truth was told, we wouldn't choose to hang out together if it wasn't for Jesus. But we come together from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, and we come together and we choose to be physically together because of a shared drive and passion to seek God within community. To those who commit to the mandate to steward what we have been entrusted with, those that gather together in mission and resolute to steward and carry the next to those he releases the significance of heaven. The disciples were together. Together in ethos, together in physicality, together in mission. And the Spirit came. And the movements, the manifestations of the Spirit are intentional and they call out for us the intentions of heaven for us. Tongues of fire arrive in the room. And the fire is described in the plural. There are tongues of fire. There's more than one. But what we're told is that they separated, which means that prior to the separating moment, they must have been together. So tongues of fire arrive together as one, and then they separate to each one, and all of them are filled with the Spirit. The manifestation breaks into the room, explodes into reality within their gathered moment, but comes to rest and remain within each individual life. This is really important to call out. The manifestation of God appeared in the gathered moment, but rested and remained in each individual life. Here is the intention of God for gathered moments. It's God's intention that as two or three gather in his name, that as his people gather around his word and his reality, he unlocks something significant within such moments that is to be lived out with those moments in the individual life of each and every one of us. On the day of Pentecost, the upper room gathering was the landing pad for glory. It was the environment within which the fullness of the Spirit was poured out. But what God was doing there was to live beyond that one moment. It wasn't to be a historical event that we look back on and recognize on that day, in that place, this is what happened. It was to live on beyond that moment. And the way it lived on beyond that moment was that it came to live in and through the life of each and every individual that was there. The Spirit arrived in the together moment of the upper room, but he rested and remained in the individual life of each believer. Gathered moments such as this one that we're in right now, gathered moments such as the one that we read of here in Acts chapter 2, gathered moments are supposed to be conduits through which God brings revelation, insight, ministry, power, it is the environments within which God turns up to empower and equip and to speak to us and to release his heart and his reality upon his people. But what he does here is not just to live in this moment, it's to be carried beyond that within the individual life of each and every one of us. The breaking in of God to our gathered moments is to be carried by our individual lives.
We cannot underestimate the importance of gathered moments. But the gathered moments aren't the finish line. We're called to do church and we're called to be church. You come together expecting for him to speak, expecting for him to minister, to empower, to equip, to break in, break through. But we need to come with hearts and hands that are open, recognizing that what he does here is to live on and to be carried beyond this moment that what he manifests and accomplishes within our together moments is to rest in us and remain in us and be carried onwards by us. The passage says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They saw the fire arrive as one, they saw the fire rest on each one. Could it be that they understood what God was doing in their own lives because they saw what God was doing in each other's lives? Some theologians reckon that the disciples couldn't see the tongue of fire on their own head, but they could see the tongue of fire on each other's heads. So by seeing what God was doing in each other's lives, they began to understand what God was doing in their own life. So could it be then that as we gather together and witness the work of God in each other's lives, that we actually deepen in the knowledge of the work of God in our own? That as we share together, learn together, minister to each other, encourage each other, testify one to the other, that we actually begin to develop a framework for God and we grow and deepen in faith. That when we see what God is doing in our together moments and we learn what God is doing in each other's lives, that we grow in our spirituality, I think that could be God's intention. That means that we cannot then underestimate the power of gathered moments. It's not so much about the gathered moment itself, but it's about what God does within such moments and how he uses those moments to grow us and deepen us and stretch us and equip us. Manifestation of God came in the gathered moment but lived on in the life of each believer. And we see that when we look at the outworking of the moment and how it goes from the room to outside. It says there, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language, one language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those, these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it each of us hear them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The view in Acts chapter 2 is switched quite dramatically. The view switches from what's going on inside the house where the disciples are staying to what's going on outside in the city where the disciples are staying. And again, the movement of the Spirit reveals the intention of heaven. The Spirit is poured out to the gathered people inside the house. And the sound of what's happening grabs the attention of the people in the vicinity. This is something that I've really been struck with because the inference of the passage is that they were filled with the Spirit and they poured out into the square and began declaring stuff. But the passage doesn't say that. At no point does it say 
They then left the room, went outside, and began speaking. It's inferred, but it's not called out. So there's loads of questions there. When they heard the sound, a crowd gathered because of the sound. Was that the sound of the blowing of the violent wind? Was that the sound of them being filled with the Spirit? But, well, I don't know the answer to those questions. What we do see is that the sound of heaven upon the people of God grabbed the attention of the world outside. And that's an important thing for us to highlight, and we're not going to go on a tangent and go into it because we don't have time. But this is important for us as a church to grasp because just in March, God spoke to us and told us as a church, sing, barren women, burst into song. Let the sound from your house rise up. The sound of heaven upon the people of God grabbed the attention of the world outside. And look at the result. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together. A crowd came together. The Spirit was poured out to a gathering of people, and the outpouring of the Spirit caused a gathering of people. Here are the intentions of God called out here. The Spirit moves in gathered moments and gathers people into gathered moments. There are people here, we're told, from every nation under heaven. God's intention is to gather the nations of earth into an experience of his reality. And his desire and intention is to raise up across the nations of the earth gatherings of his people that carry the very dimensions of heaven. We see it called out here as the Spirit bursts the church. Here's the intentions of God. He's going to gather people from every nation. And he's going to raise up gatherings in, in every nation that carry his name and display his glory. And how does it happen? 3,000 people were added to their number that day in Jerusalem. 3,000 people stepped into an experience of the reality of God. And yes, Peter's sermon would have had a part to play in all of that. But actually, there was a much more important dynamic going on says, each one heard their own language being spoken. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What caught the attention of the people was that each one heard one speaking in their native tongue. And each one heard one declaring the wonders of God through the supernatural power of the Spirit. Their attention is caught. They, they, they ask, what does this mean? They begin to inquire. They begin to explore what God is doing. Their hearts are captured because of what God did in the upper room, what he released within the gathered moment. But what he released within the gathered moment came to rest and remain in the life of each disciple. Souls were impacted. The kingdom was advanced because the power of God was carried from the gathered moment of the church to the world outside. The manifestation of the Spirit was released in the upper room, but it lived on and was carried in the life of the disciple. And each one in that crowd came to faith because they encountered the reality of God being carried by an individual life. And the analogy and the depth of that goes further. Crowd's reaction is recorded for us. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? 
The fact that they're speaking and being described as Galileans means that the language that they would have spoke would have been Aramaic. That would have been their native tongue. And they existed in the time of the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire was united by a common language, a bit like the British one was. And the common language that united the Roman Empire was Greek. The point here is that the wonders of God could have been declared in a common language that would have been understood by everybody in that square. But it wasn't. Instead, the Spirit moved the disciples to speak in languages that they'd never learned and to speak the wonders of God in a way that was bespoke and personal to each person in the crowd. Why? Because what God was doing in the midst of that crowd, what he was doing in the gathered moment of that crowd was to come and live in and rest and remain in each individual within the crowd. So he communicated it in a way that was individual to them and a way that could be received by them and carried by them. See, the end goal wasn't the big outside church service. It wasn't the first ever open-air street evangelism service in Scripture. That wasn't the goal. The open-air evangelism rally was merely the landing pad. It was the conduit through which God wanted to release His reality to each individual life that found itself within that gathered moment. And when we see that, we see a pattern. To a gathered moment, God releases His Spirit. Within the gathered moment, he deposits his reality to be carried in individual lives. The disciples carry that reality to the gathered moment that is created by the Spirit outside the church. And God uses his disciples to release his reality within that gathering. And to each person in that gathering, the reality of God is to release to be carried by them. It's a pattern. What happens inside the room happens outside the room. The pattern continues. And do you know the amazing thing about this pattern is that you're sitting here and I'm standing here today because the pattern of God has been repeated through centuries and generations across nations and continents, through races, creeds, and classes. The same cycle has been repeated over and over across the epochs of time. God has released his reality amongst the gathering of his people. He's deposited that reality to be carried in individual lives, which has then in turn gathered people in into the experience of the kingdom as he in turn transforms each individual life. The pattern of Acts chapter 2 is the reason that you and I are alive in Christ in Glasgow in 2023. The pattern of Acts chapter 2 is the reason that we are sitting in this gathering as a gathered people to whom he is releasing his reality. So what does that mean? It means that we must never underestimate the importance of gathered moments. God visits and invests himself in the gathering of his people, which would suggest that we need to place importance and priority upon such moments. Amen. Folks, this is more than a weekly club. This is more than a tick box exercise this should not be a habit. This should not be something that we do because we quite like hanging out together. But neither should this be an optional luxury that we elect to be part of depending on what else is going on in our lives and depending on whether we deem that more important than this. We're called to do this. And do you know what? If every person that connected with Glasgow Elam across a month, if every person 
came all together, do you know, we would almost have no seats to fit everyone in. The point is not the gathering. The point is not the numbers. The point is that the gathering of God's people around His reality is the landing pad for glory. It's the conduit through which He releases His fullness and manifests His purpose. It's His divine design. It's His mechanism for the kingdom in our time and generation. It is His plan A and He has no plan B. He calls us to do church and He calls us to be church. The gathered moment's not the end goal though. He speaks through his people. He inhabits the together moments of his saints. He brings revelation. He brings ministry. He brings empowerment and equipment so that the reality of God can live beyond the gathered moment and be carried into our individual lives. This is what we call discipleship. Discipleship is what lives on in us beyond the gathered moment. Discipleship is the journey of stewarding what God does when we gather at the landing pad. Discipleship is when we walk the encounter and the revelation beyond the gathered moment and into the everyday. And in fact, even further than that, it's when we journey what God does in our together times into the very DNA of who we are and allow it to shape our individuality. And this means that to effectively be what he's called us to be as a community, And as a Christian, there has to be a serious commitment to church and to discipleship. And there has to be a recognition that neither are mutually exclusive and both are necessary to be transformed into his likeness. Permit me to speak personally. We are in a stage as a church where we are journeying into our next We know that he is going to move. We know that he is already moving, but there is an uncertainty about what and about how and about when and what it's going to look like. And we recognize that the shape and the structure of our community may change in this process. In fact, it already is. The shape and the structure may change in the process as God calls people in to partner with us. And even as he transitions people to where the next part of their journey is going to unfold. And that's not easy. We're not going to apply spiritual elastoplasts and scriptural statements that just blase that away. That can be hard. That change and transition can be hard. It can be difficult to navigate the season of trying to lay hold of what God is doing when you're not entirely sure what God is doing. Of trying to commit to the next when you're not really sure of the what and the how and the where. It can be difficult when people move on. It's exciting when people come. But it's hard to navigate regardless. And in the midst of all of that, we commit to togetherness. We need to commit to gathered moments. As a pastor, and you know from the times that I, since I've been here, I rarely speak like this, so permit me to do it today. As your pastor, I call you as a church to gather together. 
to prioritize the landing pad for glory, to prioritize the moments that he chooses for heaven on earth. And I get life is busy and things come up and that's okay and there's going to be no guilt attached to this. So please hear heart on this. There's no guilt. We're not saying if you're not part of the gathering, you're not part of what God is doing. But there is an invitation. We can never underestimate the importance of gathered moments for reasons unknown to me. They are God's choice for releasing significance upon the face of the earth. They are his choice for heaven on earth. Church is something that we are and it's something that we do, but we need to do in order to be. We need to gather as his people in order to be the people that he calls us to be. We need to learn from each other, to grow together, to encourage each other, to minister one to the other. And we need to come into these moments with hearts that are open and hands that are open to receive what he has for us and to carry his reality in our individual lives to see the world transformed for Jesus. Glasgow Elam, it's time to be a church that builds around Pentecost. And we need to realize that that means more than just believing that we can be filled with the Spirit. It means identifying the intentions of God and stepping fully into them with all that we have. We need to commit to gathering together and viewing those moments the way that He does as valuable and suitable for glory. We need to come and press after him, chase after him with all that we've got to set the stall out for the glory and the presence of God, to go as deep as we possibly can, not because we want big gatherings, not because we want status, not because we want recognition, but because we want to be what he's calling us to be. And we come recognizing this isn't the finish point but this is the place where he deposits into us so that we can receive and carry heaven to our city and to our nation it's time to build round Pentecost let's be a church that says rest on us suddenly would you come suddenly would you come Sovereignly, would you come to this landing pad? Would you come to this gathering and breathe upon us? Would you deposit heaven in us that what you do here would live on beyond this moment and be carried to those outside our gathering? Oh God, would the sound of heaven upon the people of God impact the world round about us? Fill this room, fill this gathering with the sound of heaven. Fill this moment with the fullness of who you are. Oh God, would you come? Oh God, would you come? Would you join me in pressing into him? Just where you are, would you stand? Let's press into him together. God.